I get to work on a product, I get to craft it at my own pace. Maybe I'm not making as much money as I could at the moment, but I'm really enjoying it. I don't see any reason to stop. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast where I bring you stories of fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. Today I'm joined by Michael Christofides, who is the founder of PG Mustard, a product which helps people speed up Postgres queries. Michael started out working for a dev tools company as a product manager and went on to run customer success at London-based unicorn GoCardless. Now, Michael might not be as well-known and successful as other popular indie hackers, but he works in his own terms and has been committed to his project for years. In this episode, I want to unpack why Michael stays committed to his product despite slow growth, his unique approach to the indie lifestyle and where he wants to go in the future. But before we get into this conversation, I want to make a big thank you to IndieByte sponsor, Email Octopus. Email Octopus are an indie email marketing platform built to support other small growing businesses like yours. They're focused on affordability and making it easy to use, which is perfect for you, fellow bootstrapper. Email Octopus has all the essential features you need when growing and reaching out to your audience. So if you're looking for an email tool, you can start on their free plan where you can contact up to 2,500 subscribers. I host my very own newsletter, The Indie Byte, on their platform. To try it out, head to emailoctopus.com or hit the link in the show notes. And a reminder, if you're enjoying Indie Bytes and want more than just these 15-minute episodes, you can sign up to the Indie Bytes membership where I upload extended versions of these conversations. You can get access for just $60 a year by heading to indiebytes.com membership. Let's get into this chat with Michael. Michael, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? Hi, James. Thanks so much for having me. I'm good. How are you? Very good. We've been friends for a while. I kind of know a bit of your story, but I wanted to bring a bit of Michael to the Indie Bytes audience. But something I don't know about you is your background as an entrepreneur. Were you one of these guys that was starting little side projects when you were younger? Because I've only ever known you as the PG Mustard guy. Side projects, not so much. I am quite risk averse as a person, which might not seem like it would suit entrepreneurship super well. But I was really interested in businesses. I did have a few people in my family that were entrepreneurs, ran their own businesses, quite different ones. I was also the kid on the school bus selling uh, selling sweets, so that I do have that checkbox ticked at least. Did you want to like have a career in tech? Was this your plan? or I was, I was really lucky. I had no idea really about tech. I ended up studying maths because that was the thing I was best at, not because it was a career-driven decision. So that helped a little bit on at least being able to understand the technical side of things. I thought I wanted to go into like learning more about business. So I thought a good way of doing that would be management consulting <laughs> for my sins. <laughs> and luckily it was a terrible year. Like I graduated in 2009. I, I worked for my uncle for a bit. I did some accountancy for some of his business friends. But the first real job, the first time I signed a contract that didn't have an end date, was at a company called Redgate. And I was actually drawn to them because of their slogan. It was ingeniously simple software or something like that. And I loved the idea that you could differentiate on making a product simple. So talk to me about how PG Mustard came about for you. As someone who is a generalist in customer success and product management, making a product to do with database queries seems like a very specific technical thing to found a company about. Yeah, so this came from, like, the first company I worked at, what did I ended up doing roles that were mostly about database tools. So it was really, okay. it's just the thing I had got a lot of domain knowledge of over time, but not for Postgres. So we did things for a couple of really expensive products called SQL Server, Oracle, and the company just didn't seem that interested in doing Postgres stuff, even though we started to hear it more and more from customers. So I, I got this kind of early site in probably... 2014, 2015, around that time, that Postgres 
whilst being an old technology was up and coming in some ways and people were migrating, like serious companies, serious organizations were migrating workloads to it or using it for new projects. I definitely got a, a very early warning that this could be an interesting market. And also I loved how it was set up. Like it was, it was true open source and it didn't have a single company or person dictating everything about it. So it it felt like a low risk, long-term platform to build for as well. So yeah, that was, that was why it was actually that way around. So I potentially stupidly picked the market before working out the product or the actual business to build. Do you think that's stupid? I definitely see a lot of benefits in scratching your own itch type businesses. I didn't have this direct problem myself, but saw a lot of people having it. Yeah, I, I actually think it's potentially a smart thing and you can add your thoughts onto this, Michael, but picking a market and a niche and building a product specifically for that market, that seems like a smarter thing to do than just building a product that is scratching your own itch because that could potentially be um, a problem that only one or two people have rather than you investigating the market and then building a product that suits that market. Is that how it ended up with PJ Mustard coming about? Yeah, good point. I mean, with PG Mustard, it was talking to people that did have the, the problem or that did work with Postgres, asking them what they did day to day, watching them. There's a lot of advice around asking and there's not that much advice around watching. I think it is really important to listen to what people say, but it's even more important to watch what they actually do. Listening to what people were saying, which products they like, uh, what they spent their time on day to day, Speeding up queries was never, well, this is potentially where it was a bit stupid. It wasn't in anybody's like top one or two tasks, but most people like listed it, but it was like lower down third. So it reached a lot of people, but it wasn't in their top priorities. It wasn't the thing they spent the most time doing. And then when I watched how they did it, I saw so many opportunities for ways it could be better. And not just people in person, but people online, when I'd see back and forth of people trying to solve performance issues, I, I just thought we can remove so much of this back and forth and we can prevent you having to go to real deep experts for this. Absolutely. So talk to me about launching the product. I was lucky to meet a lot of good people over my career working in different tech companies and finally managed to convince a friend of mine called Dave to start this business with me. And as I got more of an idea of like something we could build, he got cracking on building a very small version. <laughs> that, that took us a while because we were working very part-time, you know, evenings and weekends. And we were both late 20s by this point. I know it doesn't sound old, but we didn't have the same energy as some of, some of your listeners, I'm sure, have in their <laughs> teens and early 20s. So why were you doing this it seemed like you weren't going after something big you saw like a small opportunity at this point it just looks like it's something fun for you to do yeah i love i do love work i think that's a weird thing about me i don't i don't think everybody does i i find a lot of i get a lot of satisfaction out of it and i find it really fulfilling but i end up caring a lot about the products i work on and that it's healthy for a while and then at companies where you don't actually control the I mean as a product manager you have a lot of autonomy but you don't have complete autonomy and it gets frustrating or it starts to get difficult when you disagree with vision or you disagree with uh, allocation or, or one of your best team members gets nabbed by a different team because their project gets slightly higher priority and to see companies kind of destroy that or like move people around at a whim 
really frustrated me and made me think, well, how can I prevent that? And kind of eventually worked out probably the easiest way to prevent that long term is run the team myself. Yeah, I mean, like easy in some senses of one specific <laughs> part, but brings in a lot of other <laughs> challenges and stresses. So um, going full time on a product is something that you've chosen to do, but usually happens when you're seeing good signs of traction and potentially built up revenue that is equivalent or close to your salary at the time. The other option is building up runway for a certain amount of time because you think I cannot possibly push my product further or get it to that point if I'm not putting the time into it, which I quite frankly think is bullshit, but it's what you did. Talk to me about why you chose to go down that route of building up savings, leaving to work on PG Mustard. Yeah, well, mostly hubris, I think. Mostly (laughs) overconfidence and arrogance. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the world also has got more and more to the point where that's true. I do think there are so many shortcuts these days for building software that you can get up and running really quickly, especially if you choose to make those trade-offs. For me, there were two big reasons. One was I I thought we could make it work. I thought I could save up enough money and during the time I could, I wouldn't even have to sacrifice my lifestyle at all. So there was that part. And then the, the what actually tipped me over the edge, the, so the true answer is that my co-founder, we'd, we'd agreed a revenue point where we'd, we'd go full time, but my co-founder got really frustrated at his job and rage quit. And then I got, <laughs> and then I, I got jealous of him because he was now full time and enjoying life and I was still stuck in my job. So I got jealous and quit as well. Oh, that's hilarious. He rage quit his job. So what revenue was PG Mustard at when you both left? It can't have been more than $50 MRR when I quit. It might have been zero as well. Why? What were you thinking? Surely, surely you've got to see more signs of traction than that. Honestly, it felt like we could make it work. We actually, in our hubris, thought if we can make it work five days a week, we can make it work four days a week. So both of us were enjoying working full time four days a week, then like (laughs) gardening and having like leisurely weekends and all sorts. So it's even worse than that. But yeah, I have since gone, like I spent maybe over a year doing two days a week consulting, contracting to pay, to pay bills. So it's mostly PG Mustard these days, thankfully, but a little bit of contracting on the side. So fast forwarding a little bit to today, you've got 200 active customers. How did you get those customers? It's not a huge MRR number. I wish I knew the answer to all 250, but I do think the majority of it is through word of mouth. And these aren't necessarily paying customers. These might be somebody that used it once in the free trial a year ago. Like That's a pretty standard use of our product. So I think that's how it's spreading most. And in terms of things we can control, written quite a few blog posts over the years, written some documentation over the years that has started to rank in Google. Um, we've started a podcast. So do have a Postgres-specific podcast with a, another founder for, of a different company that works on Postgres tools. And I think I have noticed uh, a, a bias, at least recency bias, of a few customers haven't found us that way, which is nice. So you've got a few things in there that have contributed to growth, but... In the scheme of things, Michael, it's been really slow for you, but you just chipped away at it. You do have the luxury of growing slow and steady. You don't have to put fuel on the fire. You can do it the way you want to. As you said, now you've got a contracting gig, but have you intended to grow as slowly as you have done? 
Uh, 100% no. I think this is something that potentially gets lost when people say pick a niche, right? I stupidly thought that by going niche, we were not only protecting ourselves from competition, like, you know, someone raising a bunch of money and going after the exact same problem as us. I thought we're too niche for that. It's also potentially a really good fit for a small team, you know. So I only really ever thought of it from that angle and not from the angle of in small niches that are geographically spread or that are spread maybe even between companies. So the same person needs to talk to somebody at a different company rather than in their same team. It's actually hard, maybe even potentially harder to grow in a, mm. in a niche that's spread in a certain way. There's not as much word of mouth. There isn't as much serendipity of people seeing on someone else's screen that they're working with. Or, you know, all of those those ways that products do grow. So with this slow growth over what is five years now, Michael, why are you still doing it, dude? Why have you not stopped and moved on to something else? I think if it was like all that growth in the first year and then zero since, it would be very different. Like I probably would have done. But because it's like, it's like been teasing me this whole time. It's like, oh yeah, no, this is going to just keep growing. And even months where I've taken, I think once uh, Dave and I decided to take August off, well, growth was about the same as it would have been in any other month, which is weird. And it's felt like one of these businesses that we've built a lot of the foundations and it can continue to grow. Not 20% a month, but 5% a month, 3%, 7%, 1%. Each month it goes up a little bit. And I just figure this does, if I if I extrapolate out long enough, this looks like my ideal business. I can serve customers I love serving. They appreciate it. They're, they're great customers to serve. There's not much support. They value what we've built and it could support long-term a small team of really highly skilled people that I'd love working mm-hmm. with. Why not continue? Like, it feels like I'm, I'm so close. Uh, well, why not continue? Because it hasn't worked. But it... it it does it does now uh, earn enough to pay some money which is nice and it is at now at the point where i've been able to hire contractors to work on it yeah. like it i see a lot of people making quick money in our community and i'm really impressed by what they're able to achieve but some sometimes it's really short lived sometimes they're really stressed as a result i get to work on a product I get to craft it at my own pace maybe maybe i'm not making as much money as i could at the moment but I'm really enjoying it. I don't see any reason to stop. Dude, I think that's a really wonderful way to put it because it's ultimately down to what you want out of an indie business. And if that isn't hyper growth or scale, that's fine. You seem very content where you are. At the same time, you can like earn the money that you need to survive through your contracting work, uh, turn that sort of up and down when you need to. But at the same time, keep chipping away on this PG Mustard company that you've got going. Yeah, and on the contracting side, actually, I've found that I've been able to get contracting gigs at small indie companies, which is Mm. nice. And it means I can learn from the founders that a few steps ahead of me, they're at a point where, you know, they've got a small team and I get some of that enjoyment of working in a team. And so a bit shout out to the user list folks who I'm currently working with who have been great to me for the last, well, over a year now. Um, So that's been really fun. It's also nice working at places that have decent sized databases. Are they Uh, a customer? Yeah, that's how I, that's how this ended up coming about. In fact, I quite often end up contracting at customers, which is nice. At the end of every episode, I ask for three recommendations, a book, a podcast, and an indie hacker. 
Yeah, I have tried to pick ones I haven't heard before, and I think I've listened to every episode. So, Indie Hacker, I wanted to give a shout out to Michael Coper from Newsy. The book, I am going to recommend one that was really influential to me. I don't think it's actually that great a book, but it really influenced me, which is Small Giants by Bo Burlingham. And the podcast is by a company that I currently have a bit of a business crush on, which is a company called Panic. And it's only a short, it's only six episodes, but the Panic podcast. Are they the guys that make their little playdate thing? Yeah, yeah, they've got loads of cool projects. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on this episode of Indie Bites. Thank you so much for having me, James. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Bites with Michael Christofides of PG Mustard. If you enjoyed this and want to further support the show, there are three ways you can do that. The first one is sign up to the Indie Bites membership for more content. The second one, with holiday season coming up, if you're looking for a gift for a loved one or yourself, one of my handmade wallets from Wixful Craft Co. could be for you. And then finally, check out my awesome sponsor, Email Octopus. That's all from me. See you next week. <laughs>